Welcome to the Consortium Podcast, an academic audio blog of Kepler Education. Kepler is a consortium of independent classical Christian teachers unified by a shared vision for student flourishing. Hi, I'm Scott Postma, president of Kepler Education, and I'm joined by Joffrey Swate, our academic advisor. And Joffrey, we're going to talk about COGS in education. What are we talking about today? Uh, we're talking about robots and people and who are the bricks in the wall if you allow <laughs> oh, a, a pink floyd the, reference i love the reference oh <laughs> <laughs> well, so this article this uh this episode is inspired by an article um from theconversation.com and mm -hmm. the link to the story is is in your show notes the title of the article is To Succeed in an AI World, Students Must Learn the Human Traits of Writing. Ah, thus the robots. Exactly right. And who's concerned about our well-being, Scott, but the bureaucrats and administrators of education in Australia. How nice of them. Isn't that good of them? <laughs> uh, and so this article is, is uh, by a, uh, a lecturer in pedagogy at a university in Australia, but it cites uh, several administrators and bureaucrats with their with their worries, thinking about writing and how are people going to have jobs in writing if robots are better than them? So robots now are taking over writing. Well, they already actually are. Right? Yeah, we, absolutely. We, yeah, <laughs> we, we just we think of it as, you know, autocorrect and, um, you know, suggestive, you know, material in, in word processors. But this is AI. Yeah. And, and that is absolutely AI. Predictive text yeah. is, is AI. When I write emails, I like the computer writes half of it for me, Yeah, you know? Uh, and in fact, it is predicted that AI and AI related technologies will be automatically producing 30% of all content found on the internet by next year. By next year. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? Hey, well, let's talk about that. <laughs> I'd actually like to read uh, several items from this, from this story for, for you and for the audience. So students across Australia have started the new school year using pencils, pens, and keyboards to learn to write. In workplaces, machines are also learning to write so effectively that within a few years, they may write better than humans. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to add that. Sometimes they already do. Oh, wait, do you have a sound effect for I, us? I was, I don't remember which button it is. Well, just press I, one and see what see happens. See what happens, all right. <laughs> uh, so the audience may know that uh, so scott and i have done several very serious episodes recently yeah. very earnest and academic this one's supposed to be earnest and academic too but we have new toys we're, we're learning what all these things celebration. Yeah, <laughs> well in workplaces machines are also learning to write so effectively that within a few years they may write better than humans sometimes they already do as apps like grammarly demonstrate Certainly, much everyday writing humans now do may soon be done by machines with artificial intelligence. The predictive text commonly mm. used by phone and email software is a form of AI writing that countless humans use every day. All right. So how does this start to impact us and our learning? Some prose, poetry, reports, newsletters, opinion articles, reviews, slogans, and scripts are already being written by artificial intelligence. And... So the, the, one of the cases this article is making is that if you are literate, that means that you are learning. Part of that is learning to interact with and critically evaluate AI. Wow. Right? So human beings are evaluating AI. Well, sure. Yeah. Is, yeah. I mean, but okay. we all do. Right. right. We, are, mm -hmm. we, we all have read texts that 
that are written by AIs are written formulaically. And we shouldn't actually react against that as some sort of like, oh, this is some chimerical evil come upon the world. This could be good. This could be bad. Did you enjoy Hardy Boys as a kid? I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Hardy Boys were W. Dixon. Exactly. Until I found out. Boom. (laughs) Say it. Say it. (laughs) Until I found out that it was not a single author, that it was a a formulaic writing uh, process by a, a collective of people. Right. And it's legitimate that finding that out kind of ruined it for you. Yeah. But in the moment, you loved it. I did. You were a nine-year-old boy, a 10-year-old boy, and you just relished every moment. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And so, you know, is that, I don't know if that's necessarily an evil, right? No. I mean, I know your artistic sentiment is bucking against what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was, there was something disappointing about it. Yes. And I don't know that I could put a finger on it, but yeah, there was something disappointing about it. Well, that. it meant that Franklin W. Dixon didn't love you. Yes. Which you had, you had been able to imagine up to that point that there's a man out there who writes Hardy Boys just for me. Because yeah, he really cared about what was being written. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and wasn't just trying to sell books to kids. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, this, you know, the, the phenomenon of AI writing is, you know, is coming onto the radar screens of public educators around the world, mm-hmm. particularly because not just in the United States, public educators around the world do a very poor job of educating their students in the art of writing. So now, well, did you just call writing an art? Gasp. Ah, <laughs> that <laughs> might be part of my problem, right? <laughs> but you know, the the what they're trying to do, well. I'll tell you what they're trying to do shortly Mm -hmm. after reading uh, a a little more from this article. So after this is in Australia. So after the 2019 PISA results and the PISA is the program for international student assessment. So after a test in 2019 showed Australian students sliding backwards in numeracy and literacy, then education minister Dan Tehan called for schools to go back to basics, but computers already have the basics mastered. So at first, it sounds like this could be a good thing. And then now it sounds like it could be a bad thing. Well, you know, what is it? What are they trying to do? Are these educators trying to do? And so then the article goes into all these major reports that are criticizing school writing as having become formulaic. And then in some schools, students write essays with sentences fulfilling specific functions Mm -hmm. in specified orders, in specified numbers, and arrangement of paragraphs. These can then be marked by computers to demonstrate progress, right? Or by the educator with an easy little, oh, I I have this formula, so the kids are going to go through it, and I I have to churn through 30 of these. And so I'll grade them according to how well they followed the formula. This template writing is exactly the kind of standardized practice robot writers can do. So then the article wants to go into, well, how should humans learn how to write? And there are some fun little paragraphs about uh, robots writing famous articles, et cetera, Mm -hmm. uh, a famous Twitter account that that was run by a robot. Uh, But one of the the, the takeaway, I I guess, I want to share with you guys that they have is that the skills for the future are what we need to be thinking about. Mm-hmm. So, and why are they saying skills? Because they're worried about jobs. Okay. The whole yes. purpose of state education is to guarantee you a job. Right. In yep. that in that factory. Yep. Right. That's, that's exactly right. The that, whole reason you agree to sign over your children to us as a, as a society was that we would give them a job. They might not know how to do philosophy, but they can read the manual. And they can perform the task. Oh, yeah. So this gets back... This gets back to what we've been talking about in terms of of processes being conflated yes. with value, whether or not. So 
what I'm hearing you say from this article, um, one of the takeaways that we can kind of just rest on right here, AI number one is not going away. Right. It's writing in a formulaic sense in its most basic way. So it's going to replace human beings who write in this basic formulaic way, or that's the end of their writing competency. Well, but although even saying replace human beings is already kind of giving into this mode of thinking, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Because what it it should be that, that there are certain kinds of writing that are just a bit of a burden for us. Sure. Right. And we're happy to hand it over to AI. Right. I mean, a good example of that would be, you know, you know, I, I'm a language teacher and I often do translations and I sometimes actually, you know, get paid for doing translation work. Um, I always run my text through a translating software. Sure. It does all the heavy lifting for you. Exactly right. right. Yeah. It means, and it doesn't, I don't take away my craft from mm-hmm. that. I could, I might rip out a whole paragraph and, and write in a, a new one, but usually what I'm doing is I'm adjusting. I'm changing some word order. I'm replacing certain words. I'm realizing that it took too casual a tone and I make it more formal. Right. But I get to have that that baseline established yes. by the robot, and that really accelerates my work. Thus, yeah, thus my comment a minute ago was that at a certain competency level, right, uh, robots will be doing the work that that we could do at a very you know low level competency, which could be a good thing, right? right. Like you just described, and we shouldn't be thinking necessarily that well, jobs are being lost to robots. Like, no, no, your children, what are they being educated to do? Mm. So, you know, the, it, it, the, the last thing I want to kind of share from this article um, are their conclusions and what they think hu- humans should be studying and writing. This would be good. As early as 2011, the Institute for the Future identified social intelligence, quote unquote, the ability to connect to others in a deep and direct way. Mm-hmm. Novel and adaptive thinking, cross-cultural competency, competency, transdisciplinarity, virtual collaboration, and a design mindset as essential skills for the future workforce. In 2017, a similar report by the Foundation for Young Australians found complex problem-solving skills, judgment, creativity, and social intelligence would be vital for students' futures. Now, they're still stuck. She, she job is education. Right, exactly. Yeah. They're job still training. stuck in job education. But – Ultimately, what they're really talking about is being more human. Right. Right. And that's that's what we want. We've always wanted our classical education to be more human. And we, you know, the the fact that we've been learning to write formulaically um, has actually been making us more robotic, more more soulless. Right. So that's so that's where when if we stay in the process, if we continue to live or exist in. Um, what we've talked about before, the public school processes, right, through – so you've got this age-graded um, uh, curriculum that you walk through. And so now competency is equivalent to passing the grade. So now, you know, you're moving on. But if we stay in that, then robots are going to replace doing those everyday kinds of tasks that we learn from that kind of education. So this makes – fundamentally, it makes a human education that much more important, right? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. And beyond human, like we actually need to be able to think, to think, yeah. right? We need to be able to be critical and evaluate and to think. Let me read you something. Yeah. Just some lines of poetry, my friend. Yet in a circle pallid as it flow by this bright sun, that with his light display rolled from the sands and half the buds of snow and calmly on him shall unfold away. <laughs> Is that beautiful, friend? <laughs> 
first uh, I didn't understand. <laughs> of course you didn't understand it because that was written by a robot, Deep Spear. Deep Spear. That's the Deep name of the robot. Shakespeare. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, uh, so it was trained. It's being trained to write sonnets. It's still imperfectly trained. Okay. So listen, if listeners didn't understand that, as you know, you can see Scott's face. Like Scott's like, what am I listening to? Well, there's good reason. It is actual nonsense. But here's the challenge to you and to the listener. Mm-hmm. How many times has someone recited some actual lines of Shakespeare and your brain took it the same way it took that? Yeah. Right. Because we're, we're insufficiently trained to process language the way we we ought to, right. if we were lords of language. Right. But we're not lords of language. No. And yeah. so it hits us like a brick. Right. And only later do we realize, if we examine it deeply, that it didn't make sense. And in fact, the article I, I, I found that in said, if you, know, if you look again, you'll see that it doesn't make sense. Well, really, we should be able to just read it superficially. The first and, time. Exactly. And realize that it doesn't make sense. Well, well, that brings something up in, in my mind I'm, I'm wondering about. So this is nonsensical. Oftentimes, uh, someone who isn't um, educated in a way that they think about words and the way poetry works um, may it, it will all escape them, right? Both nonsense yeah. and and real, you know, good poetry. So, what about somebody intentionally writing in, you know, like say Jabberwocky, you know, the, yeah. the famous poem? What that there's something that's very human about this, even though it is intentionally nonsensical. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Well, and it's actually interesting to, to me that you went in that direction because uh, you went with a very positive example. And I think we go with very sinister examples as well. But yeah. So Jabberwocky, if, if you if you all aren't uh, aren't familiar with the poem, um, you know, Twas Brillig and the, and the, uh, Twas Brillig and the Slithy Toves did Geyer and Gimble in the Wabe. <laughs> um, so the whole poem has, I actually use it a lot teaching English for parts of speech. Like this is a noun, this is an adverb, but they're all made up words. Mm-hmm. Uh, Really, though, it's it's not a deconstruction. It's a construction upon the virtue of English, because when you read or listen to Jabberwocky, your English speaking brain does things. It follows the adventure. Right. And my point being, then, that this is this was done by a human being. Right. And even though there's what might be considered nonsensical, it actually makes sense to another human being because of the story that's being told. Oh, imagine what that would do to a, to an AI. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but you know, there's also one of the things that, that all this AI writing makes me think of and, and that none of those nonsense Shakespeare lines that I, that I re- read to you um, is how much uh, charlatan writing there is mm-hmm. today. Oh yeah. Right. People, people are charlatans and you know, like <laughs> I think of the art world and you know, and, you, know you, you, produce a painting that uh, that I, mean, I hate to sound like this guy but you produce a painting that took 15 minutes but it's your artist statement that makes a difference that and the people you know of course right, right? but your yeah. artist statement is what co- communicates that you're willing to play along with how this particular part of the world does things and so it, it's all all the writing is meaningless it's mm-hmm. obtuse it's obfuscatory um it's it takes you down dead ends on purpose, mm-hmm. right? And but it sounds real. Uh, I, I know we're doing quite a bit of reading, but we're talking about writing in this in this in this podcast. I'd, I'd like to read to you Sonnet eighteen from Shakespeare, absolutely. And but... then I'd like you to hear what a robot did uh, with that same first line. Okay, okay. So this is a sonnet that most of you will have heard before, but we're gonna we're gonna listen to it again for the pure pleasure of it. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? William Shakespeare. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? 
Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Rough winds do shake the darling buds of May, and summer's lease hath all too short a date. Sometimes too hot the eye of heaven shines, and often is his gold complexion dimmed, and every fair from fair sometime declines, by chance or nature's changing course, untrimmed. But thy eternal summer shall not fade, nor lose possession of that fair thou owest, nor shall death brag thou wanderest in his shade, when in eternal lines to time thou growest. So long as men can breathe or eyes can see, so long lives this, and this give life to thee. <laughs> so good, eh? Yeah. All right. So there is an AI robot called, okay, now it's it's named after the act of inferring something. So it is called Inferos. Or <laughs> it's not actually, sorry, I got carried away. It's called Inferkit. <laughs> but that makes me think of Inferos, right? Hell, no, the yeah, underworld. <laughs> so Inferkit is the name of this of this AI. It's a kit for inferring things. But I instead I am going to take it as one of Blake's uh satanic mills. Okay. Okay. Because right. <laughs> infer, inferos, hell, the underworld. All right. So if I put shall I compare thee to a summer's day, well it it generated a, a something for me. Sure. And it generated it as a poem, interestingly, because it doesn't necessarily do that. Um but if you put it in, it would it would yield a different result, which is exciting. If, if I put it, if in, you put in the same words, it would give you a different result. Interesting. Yeah, but this is what I put in. I put in, "Shall I compare thee to a summer's day?" And here's what it did: "Shall I compare thee to a summer's day, which is like the sun with her rages, ravishly, romantically, they'll ride across the sea. We read at night, fall into sleep, but some odd calling wakes us. Let them bring him now. Let them bring him now." We'll listen, we'll hear it, but won't see. Another night, it will be with us again and again. What a night, what a night. We watched the dog sleep and our arms hung down. They kept cutting it up. Beside us at the table, the wife reached and set his glass on the floor. So, so <laughs> that felt real, admit it. <laughs> it. It doesn't feel real as in good. Right. right. It feels like something... A, 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 someone who poses as a poet could have written. It sounds like it was come out of a kit. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're right. But that is how that is how people have been writing poetry for the sure. last eighty years out of a kit, okay. setting these low standards. We don't, we don't, we can't. We have a mastered form. We hate form. We deconstruct everything. Right, right. right? And you know, as much as I might love free verse, um, I. It's, you know, the true masters of language who write good free verse, right. not the people who are only capable of writing free verse. So, you know, producing this kind of thing as a human, that's fun for your journal, right? This sort of nonsense. But the truth is that poets have been presenting this sort of work as good work for decades. Yeah. And now the robots can do it. What then separates us from the robots? Right. Well, it would have to be the ability to actually master the English language or the language that a person is writing in versus the robots who are, you know, again, using the formula. And, and so there's, there's less of a, you know, a human element that, um, you know, that deals with emotion, that deals with the actual nuances of, of humanity that can't be captured in a formula. Right. Exactly right. But then that raises the question for us as educators. Mm -hmm. Well, formulas are often quite useful. Sure. So what are we trying to achieve? Right? What do we want to do as teachers? Yeah. 
Well, that 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 brings up in in my mind the idea if we're, if we're talking about writing and teaching young people how to write, we want to educate them to be human beings in their writing. And I think there's a place for formulaic writing in in terms of training a student how a sentence works, how a paragraph works, how the basic structure of an essay works or how a right. story arc works. So there are certain formulas that really help students grasp and conceptualize the art form but that's and not formulas, really the art by the way that's exactly right and formulas but these are formulas that can get, they can reach higher and higher levels sure. and stretch different muscles but you know formulas are never gameplay right right you yeah. can do all the drills you want yes but you don't actually learn to play basketball until you're in games and sometimes the best way to learn to play is to scrimmage. Right. That's right. Well, and when you when you just said that, I was actually thinking football. Uh, that that literally came to my mind. The idea that's the difference between um, you know scrimmaging the other you know you know your your team or or another team you're just scrimmaging or running drills or plays versus actually playing the game. That's yeah. that's where the difference comes in. And so writing is is important to learn uh, as a human skill versus uh, you know learning how to simply you know, formulaically lay out words. Right. And it, it ought to be learning how to think. Right. Right. Yeah. And Ambrose so Bierce's famous comment, right? The good writing is clear thinking made visible. Right. Yeah. Exactly right. And and so, you know, and we, we want to be able to, you know, dominate different styles or learn to 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 use different styles well. But more than that, we we want to be so we, good writing is, as I stumble over my words, about effective communication right. for the audience. Uh, for the atmosphere, for the for the event, right? Uh, and so it's so good to learn writing, not only in the, maybe the special composition course mm -hmm. that you're taking or a grammar course that you're taking, but it's good to learn writing as you study logic, sure. as you study rhetoric, as you study history and literature. We and this is one of the reasons why there's a there's a certain approach we take in our integrated humanities classes, right? Where students write about topics, they're interacting with the text, they they learn how to explicate the text in terms of having a communication, having an actual dialogue with the author of that text in a, in a sort of you know human interaction versus learning all the you know the structure you know simply right. and those are all important things to learn i don't want it to sound like we're dismissing that at all but the fact is to be able to interact with that historical piece or that piece of literature the author that you know that put that out that's a very human endeavor and it translates into our ability to interact with one another in in real life right uh, but I'm going to suggest a new potential slogan. Uh, how about Kepler education better than robots? Better than robots. <laughs> <laughs> in all seriousness, as you know, as I listen to what you're saying, I'm, I think of a, of a particular method of, of teaching writing, um, which you know, I'm, I'm an absolute fan of, and, mm -hmm. and that's imitative writing. Okay, right? It's like you know, I want to copy the voice of so and so. Sure. You know, children do that from the very beginning. They mimic the speech patterns right, of right. those that they are around and those that they admire. Right. Yeah, and the ancients the ancients recognized that the, mm -hmm. the mimetic you know um, is, is how all people learn. Yeah, yep. And so you know, learning and it's not. I don't think that writing should be exclusively taught this way, but you know, that's a very organic. It seems rote, mm -hmm. like when you hear oh imitation, 
that doesn't feel very organic. Well, it is. Yes. Because you're, you're, you're actually watching, observing how somebody does a thing. And you're going to try to duplicate that. But, you know, it's a lot of soft stuff. It's, you sure. know, how, how do I duplicate this tone? How do I use this level of vocabulary? How do I make it seem like mine, but obviously also imitating this person? Um, and, and I'm a big fan of that. And that, you know, so that is sort of an example of where you get a bridge from formula into like full human. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess we could go from robot to God mode. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. So if, if humans are gods upon this earth, small G gods, yes, yeah, small G, <laughs> <laughs> then, uh, then, you know, we ought to be speaking that way and writing that way. And we want our education to have that tell us. Right. Right. And that's, that's the big thing that separates us as Christians, I don't mean us Kepler, I mean us Christians, um, from, uh, say, these Australian education, you know, mavens right. and administrators. Well, yeah, our, our telos isn't about uh, the ability to be a cog in, you know, in society, to be able to, you know, to, uh, you know, complete a task that way, but rather how to be free men and women, how to be, um, you know, human beings in this world, in the kingdom right. of God. We want more for your children than for them to beat out the robots for the jo robot jobs. Right, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> robot jobs are are not going to go away. There's going to be robot jobs, right? I yeah. mean, this is the way it's it's heading. Um, so we, we want them to be able to be human beings that actually know how to interact you know, with another human being, how to live to the glory of God in the kingdom of Christ in whatever, you know, field or job that they end up taking, yes. not as the job defining them. Well, in our last episode, we talked about uh, institutionalization and deinstitutionalization. Right. We've encountered the syllables in the word deinstitutionalization. <laughs> yes. um, so I, I want to talk about something that, you know, often produces an emotional reaction. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the reason for that is that we have been institutionalized in our thinking. Right. Um, so I'm I'm not when I when I say what I'm about to say, I'm not talking about the high aspirations or the humbleness of a certain job. Sure. I'm not talking about how society looks at a particular job. Okay. Right. All right. So we need to be comfortable as Christians. Um, with the fact that robots are going to be doing more and more menial work. Right. This is actually a, a good thing, right? And we need to stop reacting negatively when the robots end up making more and more of a car. Sure. One day, robots will make the entire car mm -hmm. if everything doesn't fall down around our ears, <laughs> right. right? And there will be no more humans in on the line making the cars. Right. And so instead of having a negative reaction about that, what we should be thinking about without thinking about, you know, how does society perceive this job? Like I'm, you know, if you're a blue collar family and you're proud to always have been blue collar, well, maybe even reevaluate that term. Blue collar is an industrial revolution term, right? Right. But if you are a humble family who is glad to be of humble origins and you want your children to work with their hands and engage their minds, then they can. Right. Everyone should be educated to the fullest extent for them to be free men and free women. Uh, we don't have to compete with the robots for jobs. We never did. Well, and the fact that the fact that a robot is making a car, the robot doesn't have a moral uh, compass to be able to to guide and direct what kinds of things should be made and to ask the how questions. Right. Right. Which is and something that, we're severely lacking. Right. And that's what we need 
human education for or educating humans as we're talking about. This is where the small g gods comes into play in a world where there's more and more robots. The people who know how to ask not, you know, can we make this? Can yes. that robot do that? But should we? So people need to be decision makers. Right. And actually the word factory <laughs> originally has something of the decision making built into it. So factory very naturally became the word we used once the industrial revolution came into full swing to describe these places of uh, more and more efficient, repetitive production, right. right? Where we used more and more machines. That was always the goal, mm -hmm. right? The, right? The goal was always to cut down the number of humans. Once the industrial revolution hit, we used the word factory because it sort of made sense. Why did it make sense? What was a factory before the industrial revolution? A factory was a place where agents, so you could have, a, have an agency or a factory. An agency was where someone acted, mm -hmm. a gere, agency. A factory was where someone made things, fakere, right? Um, you know, there's some, you know, so it goes all the way back to where uh, pl places where in the Roman world, olive oil used to be made. That was a common factory. But factories were also places where trading establishments were set up. Interesting. Right. And they would often also make things because if you were, you know, weeks away from wherever your home base was and you were trading, you should, would also be smart to start making stuff. Right. right? Uh, but the important thing in either an agency or a factory is that there were agents and factors, and those people made decisions. They did things. That's what that word means. Mm. So it's not that factories were more primitive and less efficient, and then we finally reached the true factory. The true factory is where humans make things and make decisions. They act. That's the sort of calling that you want your child to have, regardless of what society thinks about the type of work they're doing, you want them to have the satisfaction of being decision makers, of being free men and free women. Mm. So they get to actually, you know. They get to be factors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they actually get to get to choose. They're, they're not just stuck into that cog. Which, so so that, that makes me think about craftsmen, you know, going back to your agency. Right. So, you know, and that's something that, that, more and more is going to be a valuable, um, if, if we're talking about the idea of the job market, that's going to be people who are actually craftsmen are going to be more and more value because that's more of a human trait than something that's just rotely. And this is where those out. Australian educators are right. Like it yep. is going to become important for us to have complex problem solving skills, judgment, creativity, and social intelligence. Yes. <laughs> you know, those are entrepreneur type skills, but we don't want them to be delivered to us by jargon-oriented bureaucratic educators, right? Right. We want, hey, we want this in a, in a classical form. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, you know, uh, this, <laughs> I might be pushing the envelope here a little bit, but it sounds like a human education produces more aristocratic thinking human beings. Absolutely. Where more robots are taking on the democratic sort of the demos sort of functions of society. And here's what separates an, the aristocrat from mm -hmm. the demos. It is the sense of responsibility. Right. Yep. And we should all as Christians, we all exercise that. Right. That's, that's part of what makes us all lords. 
So you're saying what I what I'm hearing you say. If we kind of summarize everything, and I know we've gone over a, a, you know a variety of different <laughs> ways that this this conversation goes, but writing is clear thinking. Good writing is clear thinking made visible, and by learning as as an example, writing. You know, this isn't just about writing; this is about human education. But writing being an example of where AI and where you know wrote um, formulaic processes replace value. We want our children to be educated with the kind of value, decision-making, human sort of skills that cannot be duplicated by a robot in a job market because it's not about the job. That's right. Although I would go even further than that and to say that it almost doesn't matter what the robots can achieve, say, 300 years from now, mm -hmm. right? Um it does matter that we don't educate ourselves like robots. Right. That's right. You know, let, 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 I would agree. Know, maybe in 400 years we'll be, I mean, this is, I mean, this, is, I, I don't believe this is going to ever happen, but uh, you know, in 500 years, we might be preaching the gospel to AI yes. <laughs> just to really totally lose the audience. <laughs> but I, I just putting that out there to say like, it doesn't matter what, what robots achieve, whether you and I lose the ability to, to, to dis discern whether a text was written by a robot or a human. What matters is how are you educated? Right. Can you think? Do you have a telos? Does your writing have moral value? That's what yeah. matters. Yes, that that I think is is the crux. And and if if we kind of come full circle here in this episode back to a a quote that uh, oh. introduced this um this quote comes from a, a work that uh, is uh, analyzing Horace Mann's, uh, you know, project to to bring about a, a democratic kind of education. Uh, and others like Horace Mann. Horace Mann's just kind of the champion of it based on his position and, and whatnot. But this author so rightly— So actually, before—so I'm just going to pause you for a second. First to note for audience, this is the quote that opened our yeah. show. But also, could you just talk a little more, 30 seconds, about who Horace Mann was? Was. Yeah. So Horace Mann, born in, I think, 1796, died, and I want to say in 1852, uh, the same year, ironically, strangely, that um, uh, John Dewey was born. Okay. Huh. So there's this little interesting overlap there. Both of them modern humanist, secular humanist educators who um, Horace Mann uh, was the secretary of the Department of Education for the state of Massachusetts and then later became a U.S. representative. And his biggest goal in life was um, educational reform. And you have to think about the time when he was living, early 19th century, okay? And, and so this is on the hills of the establishment of the American experiment, right? right. So 1776, we're – we're 18, uh, uh, 1783, I'm sorry, before the Constitution gets ratified. And so right on the heels of this, he's born. All right. So we have this brand new um, American project, this experiment of a nation that is uh, completely uh, democratic in a new world sense. I, I hate to use the word democratic because we're, we're technically an elected aristocracy or a democratic republic. But in the democratic sense that the people were actually running, coming from the old European, you know, models of, of aristocrats and, and monarchs. So how do these people, how are they going to be able to function? So Horace Mann sets out to bring about what he called the common school, right? And, and so early um, 
colonists had small public schools that were community. Those were small taxes levied by a community. The, the families were the board of education there. And that was to help the poor children to be able to get an education because that was better for the whole community. Okay. Nothing like what we know today as public school. All right. Horace Mann wanted to institutionalize this. This was his goal right. because in order to have a democratic society that was predictable and um, and and was able to uh, achieve what um, could not be achieved because human nature isn't you know everything that you know the humanists think it is. Uh, you had to mitigate human behavior uh, by a process. Okay, so knowing that human beings would not always govern themselves well, even though that was what our forefathers wanted, we have to have a kind of education that puts people in a cog. Right. Yes. So we we need to have a kind of education that produces people who are both um, consumers of whatever product they're making and contributors or manufacturers of that product. And that's why I use that term, the self-looking ice cream cone before. Right. Yeah. So, so this is what you have to produce. So um, in this quote that I'm going to read to you, this is Bob um, Pepperman Taylor, who was a, um, uh, a, a professor and the Dean of uh, political science at uh, university of Vermont. And he's talking about the way that education, why it's important for public education um, to be what it is. And, and here's the quote. Well, it's from a work on Horace Mann. It is, yes. So Horace Mann's troubling legacy, all right? And this is written by a university, a state university professor. Okay? Huh. This isn't a Christian, you know, talking about it. This is a, a state university professor. He says, for the civic educator, the task is to produce a particular kind of citizen. Note this, for the educator released from political goals, okay, and, and this would fit right into what we were talking about if, you, if we talked about job skill goals as well, the end of education is less to shape students than to develop their reason and knowledge to such a degree that they are able to take personal responsibility for shaping themselves as free and independent individuals. What does that look like? Thinking through their own views, cultivating their own tastes, developing their own life plans, and becoming unique people. Now, that's if educators are freed from political goals. Right. But if, that's not the case. That is not the case in a civic society. <laughs> so he says, although it is comforting to think that in a democracy, these two projects are complementary. So we're going to soothe ourselves to say, we can have both. You can, liber you can, you can teach free men and women and this democratic cog that we're going to produce. You know, we like to say that. And in parentheses, he says, we like to say that a democracy is the form of government that values free and autonomous individuals. We like to say that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, and then here's the clincher. He says, the open-endedness of the educational process is worrisome from the political perspective. Here's why. The temptation is to try to produce an education with a known and satisfactory outcome because free men and women are often a bit too unpredictable for the civic educator's taste. Oh. So, so we want processed um, people, right? We, right. Yeah. We want a society of people who are thinking a certain way. And that kind of people can be replaced or that kind of thinking can be replaced yes. today by AI. And oh, that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So this is, and this is where it connects to what we've been touching on with every single one of our episodes right. in one way or another. And yet an article like this, an article like the one I read, um, it doesn't emerge unless the fact is that we've been educated to be robots. Right. 
and now the robots have come. Now the robots have come. Right. That's the problem. Right. Right. If we had never been educated to work as robots, uh, we wouldn't we, be afraid of them. Yeah, that's right. right. Exactly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I'm afraid that we've been dumbed down. Well, in this article that you uh, you posted, there's there was one section here. Um, I thought was, it says, are you scared yet human? (laughs) One of the headings in there. Are you scared yet? If you have the kind of education of a free man and woman, then there's no reason to be afraid of the AI coming. That's right. Right. (laughs) But if you've been educated in the civic sense, the way that we have been being educated and much of, you know, Europe and, and, um, you know, including Australia, um, have been being educated then there might be reason to be afraid of what AI could do. Yeah, that's right. So I guess once again, we're saying deinstitutionalize. Yes, and get an education that is meant for human beings. Yeah. Well, anything else you want to add in, in closing as we wrap up? This is this is good. I know we, we, we had a lot to try to um, gel together and uh, in, in, in to kind of bring together in, in, in the idea of education and, and where that might go, particularly how writing acts as a sort of um, example, you know, yeah. and we could, we could have inserted anything and didn't yes. have to just be writing, right? But writing is a very human sort of endeavor. Yeah. What, what would you say as, as a closing? Well, I, you know, I mean, I guess I could think of something to add, but I really felt, beloved brother, that we had ended quite poetically 45 seconds ago. <laughs> Fabulous. Well, then let's let's end it now. God bless everybody. Thanks. Bye, everyone.